you. Good morning, good morning. I am so glad to be with you here this morning, both in person and for those of you watching online. Um, as Gino said, my name is Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love to be here with you, sharing the word with you this morning. Uh, so I can remember the assignment very clearly. It was Mrs. Gingold's English class, and I was a junior in high school. And we were tasked with writing a persuasive paper, you know, the one where you take an argument and you kind of deconstruct it and uh, persuade someone to, I don't know, believe what you believe about something. Now, I can't remember what I wrote about, but I remember what Julia wrote about. Julia was my friend and, um, in high school, and uh, keep in mind that I went to parochial Lutheran school kindergarten through eighth grade. And so while high school was not my first interaction with non-Christians, um, high school was very different for me than my kindergarten through eighth grade upbringing. I loved high school, though. I loved it tremendously. Uh, but it was different. And I remember in this particular English class, Julia decided to break down her strong disagreement for Paul's writing from the Bible in 1 Timothy 2. Now, she did not believe in Jesus in this particular passage gave her one extra reason to go against the Christian faith. If you're not familiar with the writing in 1 Timothy 2, this is what Paul writes, starting at verse 9. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Verse 11 continues, Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. And I remember thinking as a junior in high school, this does not feel right to me. I wondered in that moment, how is it that I've been a Christian my whole entire life and I've never read this passage, or at least heard it with these ears and with the arguments that Julia was giving? And let me say in full disclosure that even as I read these words today, while I don't have the same gut reaction that I had as a junior in high school, I do still feel that sinking sensation in my stomach. I thought, I love Jesus. How in the world am I ever going to get other people to love Jesus, especially other women to love Jesus, when the Bible contains passages like this? And it wasn't until later in my life that I learned to read the Bible in context, with a full understanding and weight of both the exegesis of the text, right, explaining the text without adding anything to it, as well as the hermeneutics of the text, which is to determine and understand the biblical text, bridging the gap between our minds and the minds of the original writers. It wasn't until later, unfortunately much later, that I read stories about Deborah and Esther and strong women of the Bible who led and changed the course of history. It wasn't until much later that I realized what Jesus did for women and how he elevated them and uplifted women. It wasn't until post-college that I saw my first woman preaching from a stage. 
You see, when Julia wrote her paper, it became a reason for her to show how detrimental the Bible was to women and how they should remain in their submissive wives' role. And if I'm honest, I can see how that text would point her there. And as a woman who has thoughts and strong opinions and things to say, I am saddened and honestly sometimes angered to think of the hundreds of ways that this verse and verses like it, based in my opinion on a bad understanding of context, have been used to shut down the voices of women leaders for centuries. If we're honest, the church has used Bible verses to condone egregious behavior, egregious actions throughout history. And what we're up against is the wackiest version and the wackiest interpretation of 1 Timothy 2, of how wives should submit to their husbands. It's this presentation of cultural gender roles and stereotypes. It's understanding commercials from the 50s and 60s and ads that aim toward a certain picture of marriage that frankly most of us don't see today, at least here in the United States. Nevertheless, the verses are there. And we should wrestle with what they have to say. It's why we wrestle with verses like this and other verses in our preaching and teaching here at the SSV. Because we also know that the Word of God is the living Word of God. It's God-breathed. It's useful for teaching and for understanding. And because we know the Bible is the living Word of God, we know it still has something to say to us about how we should do this life. We turn to the Bible to hear God's commands on how to find success at living. And here at the SSV, we define success at living in that skilled in our relationships with others and with God, not necessarily fancy cars and big homes. How to live on purpose. How to live well in our relationship to God and how to live well in our relationships with others, even if it goes against our preferences. And so as we continue in our sermon series on relationships matter, we continue to use the Bible as a way to understand how we should relate to one another in different relationships. And because we can't take out the verses that we don't like, or the verses like the ones in 1 Timothy that frankly make us a little more uneasy, we want to instead wrestle with what God has to say about it in our lives and how it affects and informs our purpose. We've talked about in this series things like how to communicate well with others, how to be a friend who shows up, how to deal with work relationships. We'll continue next week to talk about Christian singleness. And last week, Gino talked to the husbands about how husbands should show up to love their wives. His sermon was titled, Husbands Love Your Wives. He began by looking at Ephesians 5, noting this very important first verse that says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This idea that no one gets to dominate. Mutual submission. Verse 22 goes on to say, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Gino's sermon was a call to biblical Christian marriage, distinct from the rest of the world. A call to do marriage differently from what we see in modern culture. 
Gina reminded us of the long-term ramifications of a healthy marriage, let alone a healthy Christian marriage. And your marriage relationship is often your most significant relationship in many ways. It's countercultural and it's hard. It requires the full court press of both individuals to do it well, to do it in a way that maintains the health of both people, both individually and together as one, one flesh, as Gino talked about last week. Keeping those people healthy, not alone the lives that they each touch. Now, if you didn't hear the message last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen, especially husbands. Because if we don't get a firm understanding of each person's role in this relationship, it can get super wacky. It can be dysfunctional and it can be even abusive. Husbands, it's very important that you understand your role. It's a very high calling and it is a deep responsibility. And let me also say, and don't forget this as I continue with my sermon, let me also say that we recognize that the global church has created scenarios that have turned a blind eye to abuse and harassment under the guise of headship or submissive. We will not be that church. If you are a woman or a man who is in an abusive relationship, we are here to help. We have connections with organizations and with people who specialize in these matters, and if you need anything, this is your personal invitation to come speak to one of the leaders. So as I continue today, I'm not talking about any misuse of this text. I'm talking about the firm understanding of mutual submission while also holding on to verses 22 through 24, calling for wives to submit to their husbands. And let me also say that we recognize marriage as one potential relationship option. We know that we have people in this community who are choosing other paths. Maybe you are single, single for now, or single again. We do not believe that marriage is the highest calling. We do not believe that uh, in order to be seen, you need to be married or have children. We do believe that it is one potential relationship and that it matters, and thus it gets a slot in this particular series. And so for those of you who are listening this morning who are not married, I think that the Holy Spirit still has something to say to you. And I pray that you would have hearts that would be able to hear this morning. And so with all that being said, ladies, I'm coming down your row today. We know that the men have work to do. We know that they are slow learners and that they need every ounce of the Holy Spirit to love us well, as Christ loved the church, amen? We know that they are a work in progress. But this morning, I want to highlight our responsibility in marriage and how we can aim toward a healthy, successful Christian marriage. Because the Bible has some wisdom about how wives should show up for their husbands. Ephesians 5.33 says, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so today, I want to look at the ways that a woman can use the living word of God to understand her role in the relationship of wife. But let me start with this first basic assumption I believe about marriage. In order to show up well in marriage... I think wives need to show up 
as who God made us to be. Be who God made you to be. I believe God made us women to be incredible, awesome, and fantastic. And I believe we can show up in our marriages as the best version of ourselves when we walk in the full potential of who we were made to be. We recognize that we are not meant to be the same as our husbands. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's a distinction made. We are different. And that, in my opinion, is good and important and wonderful. So as you show up in your marriage, it's important to recognize that you bring different useful and valuable skills and talents to the marriage. Consider this verse from Proverbs 31, 16. It says, she goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Now, this Proverbs 31 woman is a picture in my mind of possibility. Not necessarily a checklist for what women need to do each day, but God made you, woman, with possibility in mind. God made you with fully functional skills and talents outside and independent of your husband. You are a beautiful reflection of the image of God. And if you hide or diminish any of those skills or talents, your marriage will suffer. If you try to pretend to have different skills and talents, you will likely fail. If you are dating and you are trying to be someone else, I imagine that eventually you will tire out of that inauthentic living and the results could be devastating for everyone. You are capable and strong and wise and that means that you have a voice. Your marriage relationship should not undermine or diminish your God-given abilities. Instead, it should be a place where you grow and flourish. Bring all of yourself and your God-given abilities to the table. All of it. Being who God made you to be allows you to assess your unique marriage combination. In this room and watching online, we likely have hundreds of combination of personalities and temperaments. Like if we were to do a Myers-Briggs assessment or an Enneagram assessment or a Strength Finders assessment, we would likely discover all sorts of different people, resulting in all sorts of marriage combinations. And we couple that with various cultural and familial realities, and we have a cocktail of differences. So no two marriages are the same, and I doubt if there are exact formulas. While there are probably known tips and things you should do, nothing can truly determine a successful marriage formula. So it's important, ladies, to be all who God made you to be while you continue to assess what that looks like as you continue to grow in your marriage relationship. And this likely means having conversations or learning each other's strengths and weaknesses, providing space for each other to grow, to make shifts as you get older, to change. Traditional gender roles, they may work in your marriage, or maybe it doesn't. In our context, Gino has been the stay-at-home dad since our oldest was one year old. Maybe you are the one who works full-time outside of the home. Maybe you're good with finances. Maybe you set the budget and pay all the bills. Maybe you have no idea how much money is in the bank account. Maybe you and your husband sit down each month and set the budget. Maybe you do all of the cleaning. Maybe you do none of it. Amen? 
So a healthy, successful marriage isn't bound by who is the stay-at-home parent or who does the grocery shopping or who does the vacuuming. And let me just say that for some of you, men or woman, man or woman, I, I recognize that you may struggle with what you feel like are traditional gender roles. Maybe you don't even struggle. Maybe you feel very certain about how God has set up gender roles in your marriage. Maybe it bothers you that Gino is the primary caregiver for our children. Honestly, he's done a much better job than I would have done as a stay-at-home parent. Maybe it bothers you when you see husbands playing more of a supporting role to women in a high-level leadership position. Maybe it bothers you that we have a woman as vice president and president maybe one day as a woman. Maybe it bothers you that I'm preaching right now. And so to that, I would just ask that you go to the Lord with that. What does he have to say about gender roles and how you envision how things should work out? Is that his prompting in your spirit that has you disoriented by these things? But here's the truth. God has given me and my husband each a set of skills and talents. And it is through listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to each other that we have determined the best combination of how to use our gifts and talents for the glory of the God and for the betterment of people and ourselves in our home. And the same is true for your marriage. You'll need to square away as a couple what the right mix of giftings is so that you can each walk in your God-given calling. And it may look different than our journey, and that's okay. As you determine your unique giftings, use that information to create patterns and flow in your marriage so that you can show up as your best possible self. So with that basic premise in mind, with our feet firmly planted in the awareness that men and women are each given purpose and talent and skills by God, I think as women, we have the tremendous role in our marriage to respect our husbands. Dr. Emerson Egrich, she writes this incredible book um, here called Love and Respect. It's a great book if you are married, if you're thinking of getting married, it's a great book. But he writes in his intro, he says, you may remember how the Beatles sang, all you need is love. I absolutely disagree with that conclusion. Five out of 10 marriages today are ending in divorce because love alone is not enough. Yes, love is vital, especially for the wife. But what we have missed is the husband's need for respect. He goes on to write the rest of this book as how the wife can fulfill her need to be loved by giving her husband what he needs, respect. Dr. Egrich discusses that often this missing piece in the marriage puzzle is the understanding of love and respect connection. So today, ladies, I'm encouraging you to respect your husband. Ephesians 5.33, again, it says, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It speaks to the differences in how men and women are wired. Women have this primary need for love, and this results in the need for safety and communication and affection. And men have a primary need for respect, a feeling of deep admiration elicited by their abilities, qualities, or achievements. Now, both men and women need love, and both men and women need respect. But if we're talking about wiring, 
we begin to see that love and respect, as outlined in Ephesians 5.33, is directly focused on the man giving love and the woman giving respect. And I think once we understand our husband's need for respect, we can begin to operate in such a way that builds him up. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. As wives, I think we have to recognize the complete power we have in this relationship with our husbands. This is an incredible amount of power to yield, giving us the ability to build or destroy. This verse is so simple yet so challenging, and I think respecting our husbands is something we can gloss over. But I want to break down some practical ways we can walk out Ephesians 5.33. Assuming that we're coming from the standpoint of wanting a healthy marriage and wanting to build up our homes and thus our husbands, I want to share some practical ways to do this. Some practical tips, so to speak. Tip number one, if you're taking notes, tip number one is respect your husband. Emphasis on the your. Respect your husband. As wives, we need to start with the awareness of who we are giving respect to and who we are choosing to disrespect. It's no mystery that we can sometimes be the worst versions of ourselves with our spouse. We become so common. We can tend to be our most unkind self. Maybe he's annoying. You've been putting up with the same nonsense for years, and you are just tired. I understand. Even so, Ephesians 5.33 says the wife must respect her husband. And sometimes your husband sees you respecting all sorts of men. Sure, you might have a male boss, for example, and you might, you know, he might have power or influence over you, those types of things, and so you give him respect. But maybe there's other men in your various settings that you tend to give lots of respect to. Maybe your admiration. You're so enamored and in awe of these other men that you forget to respect the man that's right in front of you. You're so busy going on about how so-and-so did this and that, then he achieved thus and that and all those things, and you're thinking, what, am I just some bozo? You've been playing the highlight reel of all these other men, both out loud and in your mind. But Ephesians 5.33 says, respect your husband. Practice playing his highlight reel. Now, you should give respect to all sorts of people in your life. But wives, your biblical mandate is to respect your husband. Let him come home, or in the case of the Allison household and maybe your household, let me come home and give all sorts of respect to my husband, all sorts of admiration. Let me play his highlight reel, both out loud and in my mind. Because at the heart of the matter, Your husband really does crave your admiration, your attention, and your respect. Respect your husband. Tip number two, respect is an action. Respect is one of those words that can be used as a noun, but it can also be used as a verb. It's a thing, but it's also an action. And respect 
can be felt and demonstrated. And so it's important, wives, that we demonstrate respect in a way that your husband feels it and knows it's being given to him. And this can be unique to your man's desires and feelings. So maybe it's worth asking him when he feels respected or disrespected by you. And that can be a tough conversation. Maybe you don't intend to be disrespectful, but maybe there's something that you do, maybe even do it frequently, that makes him feel disrespected. I would encourage you to figure out what it is and work toward fixing it. Here's another thing about demonstrating respect. We need to be ready to give reasons, to point to examples of what we respect. And then we need to speak those things out to him. Take a look at what you know your husband is doing for you or for your family. What can you highlight as examples of his desires for you or your family? And these reasons should be authentic and real, but they can also speak to his desires over his performance. Thank you for getting up and going to work every day. I know you're doing this to provide for our family. I respect that. Thank you for taking care of the kids and picking them up and dropping them off at all the places that you do all throughout the day. Thank you for making dinner tonight. I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking care of that. Send a note in his lunch. Write a note and put it on his steering wheel. Send a text during the day expressing your respect and admiration. And ladies, is that not just one of the easiest ways to make the day go well, to send a little love note? a little respect note. It's an important piece of demonstrating respect. And we have the ability to buoy their confidence when the world tells them something different. We have the opportunity to be a safe place when they experience failure or fatigue. Your admiration and support can be the wind in his sails. And ladies, let me confess that sometimes I know we have to be a little bit more aspirational. Thank you, dear husband, for finally picking up the underwear that you've left on the floor for the past two weeks, for picking up that light object and moving it two feet into the basket. Thank you. I respect that. That's not the respect that I'm talking about. And let me just confess that I'm, I can be a little snarky at times. Gino? But I'm working on it. And so some of us might need to practice this. You might need to write these reasons down. You might need to get a second reader and a trusted friend to help you massage the language a little bit, especially if this is not something that you're uh, familiar with doing. You might need to say it in the mirror first. But I promise you, you will see a swell of pride in your husband if you describe why you respect him. And as we aim to demonstrate respect as an action verb, sometimes we have to start the cycle of demonstrating respect even when he doesn't demonstrate love at all or in the way that we want to be loved. And that reality can sting. Because sometimes we have to choose to demonstrate respect to help us get off what Emerson Egrich calls in his book, The Love, the love and Respect Book, what he calls the crazy cycle. He describes this love and respect cycle, this crazy cycle that we sometimes get on as husband and wife, in that he doesn't give love, so I won't give respect. I don't give him respect, so he won't give me love. 
And we continue on this crazy cycle, but somebody has to get off the crazy cycle in order for it to stop. Somebody has to get off the crazy train. And if your husband isn't going to start demonstrating love, it might be the case that you need to start by demonstrating respect. And I'm convinced that we will have extra jewels in our crown in heaven if we are the one who most frequently has to get off the crazy train first. Third and final tip, we need to trust God to work. The reality of this verse in Ephesians 5 is that it stops at the end of the sentence. Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Sometimes I wonder, like, did something get cut off? Did we lose something in translation? Because I feel like there should be like a list of exceptions, except when he's doing X, Y, and Z. Or you can start respecting him when he becomes, you know, respectable. But that's not what the verse says. So in the highest of highs of my marriage and in the lowest of lows in my marriage, I must trust the plan that God has brought this man into my life. Because sometimes what I see before me isn't a picture of wonderful. And demonstrating respect doesn't always result in a lovely marriage. Because sometimes marriage is hard. Because sometimes you may not feel like respecting the man that God has connected you to. Because sometimes there are deepest wounds and most profound offenses. Gino and I tell people in premarital counseling that the marriage relationship is likely the relationship that will bring you the greatest joy. And it is likely also the relationship that will bring you the deepest wounds. We have to trust God to work in our situation, to continue to work in our marriages, to be the glue that holds us together when either of us are on the crazy cycle. Submission and leaning into respect can be so hard if you have a godly, good-natured husband. Submission and leaning into respect becomes infinitely more difficult if the man you're married to isn't God-fearing, if he isn't good-natured, and if, quite frankly, he doesn't do much that warrants respect. But we have to trust God. We have to trust that God is at work in our marriages, that he's holding it together, that he's keeping it together, that he's blessing it in the good times and in the bad, all of it. Trusting God that in our obedience, he too is working. I believe that God is always calling us to be faithful to what he's placed in our lives. For this particular conversation, I believe that he is trusting us with our husbands. Matthew 25, 21 says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. One of the things given to us is the responsibility of our husbands, honoring his heart and his soul, praying for them, especially for the husbands who feel far from respectable. Praying for God to capture their hearts or to continue to capture their hearts. I mean, this world will rip apart our husbands in all sorts of ways. We need to keep them prayed up. We need to steward well the heart of this man that God has placed in your life because there are eternal consequences. And that should give us pause 
but also purpose. Because when we stand before our maker one day, I want to be able to say, I did a good job with Gino. I stewarded him well. I faithfully took care of your son. And the reality of this life is that some of you wives, your reward of being a faithful steward of your spouse will be seen on the other side of this life. And as a church community, I believe that it is our responsibility to pray for and to continue to care for the women who are struggling in their marriages but are continuing to be faithful, to take care of the man that God has placed in their lives. And uh, worship team, you can start to come up as I begin to close. But above all else, in all of this, as wives are called to respect your husbands, I'm convinced that we cannot do any of this without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot show up in our God-given purpose without a firm understanding of who God says we are. The strong and beautiful and powerful women we have been created to be. And in the same way, our husbands cannot be the head of anything if they're not grounded and rooted in hearing from the Holy Spirit to determine their purpose and their calling, to walk in the leadership that God has called them to walk in. And in marriage, we cannot do this without the blessing of the Holy Spirit to hold us together in mutual submission to love and respect each other. Commit yourselves first to hearing from the Holy Spirit so that we can do the rest of this work out of the overflow of what he puts inside of us. Wives, respect your husbands. Respect your husband. Demonstrate respect as an action verb. And trust God to work in and through the process. And so today, I'd like to close, ladies, with a challenge. Some of you like to think that I like to give homework in my sermon, so take this as homework or challenge, whatever you prefer. But I want you to spend the next 30 days respecting your husband. And so maybe you are like, oh, I already do that. Well, great, it's going to be an easy challenge for you then. For others of us, we have work to do. Maybe we're a little spotty in our record when it comes to respecting our husbands. So I want you to spend 30 days, maybe put it on the calendar, because we know that our men can be so fragile. But I believe that we will see great change in them when we respect them, when we love them in the way that they need to be loved. And as women, I think we need to bind together in this. We need to join together to make sure that we are encouraging each other to respect our husbands. Pushing our our sisters back toward their husbands when they start to get on this crazy cycle. Reminding them of what Ephesians 5.33 says. And so let's check in with each other to see how it goes. Let's start with 30 days. See if it changes anything in your marriage. Maybe you need a friend to help you stay on track. I encourage you to text someone. Maybe even text them right now. Let them know what you're planning to do for the next 30 days. That we would be a community where we would push people and encourage people toward greater godly marriages. Let me pray. 
Father God, we know that we need you. We know that we need you to do relationships well, of all sorts of kinds of relationships. But Lord, today, would you just be with us as we focus in on our marriage relationships? Lord, where there is hurt and pain and trauma, would you just even now begin to go and heal those wounds? Where there is joy and laughter and peace and ease in a marriage, Lord, would you just continue to let that be the flow? Lord, where there is work to be done, especially for the wives, where there is work to be done, would you just, would you just open our eyes to see what we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit to be who you've called us to be, to respect our husbands, to demonstrate respect, and to trust you through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.